Hello, everyone. Ashley is now entering a dry August, which I need everybody to know, I think, is when Ashley and I part ways. What do you think, Ashley? I like to think it's purely coincidental. But it is interesting to note that you and I started getting along a lot less well when I decided to stop drinking Sunday through Thursday. So that begs the question, do you need to be drunk to get along with me? (laughs) Or do I need to be drunk to get along with you? I'm not sure that that is the question that's being begged right now. Because as far as I know, Matt, you're continuing to drink through the month of August. So really, I think the question is, do I need to drink to tolerate you? Mm. Or Mm. is the drink the reason I can tolerate you? Mm. Mm. (laughs) I think we're going to have to have this conversation into our kind of employee review. The day that I stop drinking, the world's over, right? Like at that point, COVID has come back. It's taken us all over. World's over. It seems to me if the world is ending, you might elevate your drinking. That's true. That's true. This is a bad theory. It's a bad theory. I don't even want to think about it. What's really important is that because you started talking about being dry right at the beginning, I mean, I haven't had a chance to introduce the show. So nobody knows what they're listening to right now. (laughs) So here we are. My name is Matt Kamen, and I am the co-founder of Envision Consulting and the host of this glorious show about booze called Nonprofit on the Rocks. And you've now met Ashley Watterson, as always. First of all, you just said our show is about booze. Now, our show uses booze, but I mean, I like to think it's about the nonprofit leaders you interview. So Clearly, a- you and I maybe have different lenses through which we see the show. So that's a really good segue, by the way, because this show is with my friend Elena, who is a distant cousin, I think is what she said, of Tom Brokaw. So it's Elena Brokaw. And she's the executive director of the Museum of Ventura County, which, I mean, it's a little bit outside Los Angeles. People in LA should know more about Ventura County. It's so beautiful. And the museum itself is awesome. They're opened up again. I thought you were uh, making a pretty good metaphor when you were talking about her distant relation to Tom Brokaw. I was thinking that Elena's relationship to Tom Brokaw is not unlike Los Angeles's relationship with Ventura County. That's why we pay you the big bucks, Ashley. That's why we pay you the big bucks. You've been doing some great, like some great sleuthing online. You have big news. Thank you. I have been sleuthing. I've been sliding into people's DMs, Matt, on Instagram. And I am in talks with some bourbon people. I'll just put it that way. I don't want to say too much until we've signed on the dotted line, shaken hands with the spit or whatever it is. Maybe there won't be spit. It is COVID. That is COVID. There's no spit COVID. No, no one does that. But any, but you know what I mean? So until it's all official, I'm not going to speak specifics. But yes, we are getting close to partnering with someone or someones in the bourbon field. So what you're saying is that you potentially have a bourbon sponsor for our show and that potentially if it actually comes through, it will be on the last episode of season two, which is a big deal. Yes. So, you know, we just kind of thought we should lean in a little more to our On the Rocks part of our show. We are a happy hour show. So why not lean into it? The third piece of big news on this is that we've gone over 3,000 downloads. We sure have. Whether or not people listen to the downloads is really irrelevant. The fact is 
they downloaded us 3,000 times. That's right. That's right. And we think it's even more than that because you don't quite know the algorithm yet for Spotify. So we don't know how many people have actually downloaded us. Well, to be fair, I was counting 2,786 of those as the unknown Spotify people. Was that? Oh, 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 oh. So really only, we only know about 200 downloads in 19 episodes. Is that what you're telling me? Well, I mean, I thought that was how you wanted me to do the math. All I want to say before we go into this episode with Elena, the first is that we've learned you cannot do math at all. The second thing that we've learned is that you're a really good internet sleuther. And the third thing that we've learned today is that we may be parting ways because you are no longer drinking alcohol. Regularly. <laughs> well, those are, those are three good takeaways from the episode. I'm sure our our listeners are on pins and needles, not to get to the interview with Elena, but to find out in the next episode if our relationship has continued or if, in fact, there is a new producer of the show. There is a line for people who want to produce this show. It may be small. I'm not saying it's more than one deep, <laughs> but there is a line. Is there anything else you want to share with our listener before we walk into Elena's interview? As always... Just want to remind our listener to please subscribe to our show. Download it. Be one of our 3,000 downloader people. Find us on our website, envisionnonprofit.com, and on all of your social media platforms. Enjoy the episode with Elena. Elena Brokaw, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, I, you said you were related to Tom Brokaw, and my hope is that he listens to this at some point and just really enjoys the way I ask questions, the way that I'm a, co- a host. I don't know. By very, very distant relation, I, I, I am in a position to judge you and your hosting and interviewing capacity. Okay, related is quite a, it's, that's an exaggeration. We're like, you know, we come from the same tree. But we're way, I mean, it's a huge tree. We are way on other parts of the canopy of the tree. Listen, you've got the same last name. And it was, of course, the first person that I thought about. And so we're going to spread this podcast. We're going to get to like eight listeners. And then hopefully he'll be one of them. So uh, this, this is a happy hour podcast. And I'd like to know what you are drinking tonight. Well, I had great plans to drink something super, super fancy just to show you that I'm a connoisseur. But then I was... Um, busy trying to put parental controls on my kids' Kindle, which is, you know, remarkably difficult. And so then it was 4.58, so I just got my standard Chardonnay. So I'm wow. a total, total cliche. I should have, like, chunky earrings and a scarf on or something. I'm like the art lady drinking mean, my white wine. You are, at, you are at a museum, so I just want to show you. I've got... This enormous 1.75 liter of Weller bourbon. Weller is so good. So again, as I've talked about on a hundred different podcasts, well, we haven't done that many. If anybody's interested in advertising, I will take a bourbon advertiser at any time. So (laughs) anyway, cheers to you and your Chardonnay and your chunky jewelry. Cheers. Cheers. I am so happy to have you here. So before we started, uh, Elena has a 10-year-old and he just literally walked in and started talking to me. He didn't know me and just such a cool kid. What I want to know is over the last year that you've had to be confined, how have you maintained your sanity? Well, I haven't. 
I mean, that's ridiculous. What a what a presumptuous question. You're right. You're right. See what I'm saying. Already, I'm off to a bad start. Damn. Damn. All right. I like it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm complimented that you actually think I'm saying that is great. Oh, Something okay. is working. <laughs> now, you know, when it, I mean, every parent can relate to this, right? So it's a boring story for non-parents, but every parent, it will, they'll be like, yes. So when it first happened, um, it was uh, for our 10 year old, we have an only child and we went from being very strict and he had to be in school while at home from eight to four. And then I don't know if every parent went through this, but what he started doing is he got really depressed and he started sleeping all day. Like he would just go to sleep because he had nothing else to do. So then in, cause I was worried about that. And uh, so I let him have more access to his electronics. And then he got completely addicted to his electronics so that he was waking himself up at five in the morning to play on his electronics. So we went from complete depression to complete addiction. It's been a challenge for sure. I don't have kids. And I think I've talked about this before. I just am so impressed with all of you parents out there who can, A, not have murdered your, your kids and vice versa. Also your husbands. We can move on. We can move on. All right. So for everybody who doesn't know, you are the director of the Museum of Ventura County. You were interim, but I think now you're the permanent, right? Yes. I was the interim director for like, I don't know, eight months or something. And then I, I just went, okay, fine. I'll stay. Do you know what you need to do? You need to go onto your LinkedIn page and you need to update it because you are still listed as interim. Just FYI. <laughs> well, oh my God, I can't believe LinkedIn hasn't told me about that. You're the first person. Well, see? Now your your uh, best friend Tom Brokaw is going to be like, hey, like he did his research, he did his research, and he's fixing it. So uh, let's get to you. You are in the arts. The arts is really important to you. I know it's part of your it's part of your family and and everything. Why? Why the arts? Especially, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a total dick about this. We're in COVID. People are out of work. Um, why the arts? Why should we support the arts? Why is it so important? Actually, it's a really easy answer to that question. So as a kid, I was the fifth of five kids. Um, everybody else, and there was a sort of an age gap. So everybody was older. They didn't give a shit about me. My parents both worked. They were very busy. Um, my brother, who's two years older than me, was just, he was really mean to me all the time. I was a chubby, extraordinarily shy kid. I was bad at sports. You know, this is back in the time when bullying happened all the time. And um, I was I was really a sad and lonely little girl. And um, the only time that I felt really like myself was reading, watching musicals, writing or singing. Those are the four things that I could do that I was you know, were comforting. Like I was talking about before, they were comforting to me. And I just felt really um, myself doing those things. So I grew up in Ventura County, which is suburban at at, at its most dense. Um, I grew up in, on an avocado ranch. Our driveway was a mile and a half long. We routinely got had mud slides over the road, so we had to hike in and out. We routinely lost power. I raised lambs and pigs for 4-H. I mean, it was a pretty, you know, agricultural farming kind of a background. Um, but after school, I would sit on the horse stall rails singing 
from Annie, the musical. And I would wait for the talent scout to come up the road. I truly thought he, it was a he, it was a he in those days. I truly thought he might be driving around looking for Annie. Not, not like one of the orphans, like looking for Annie and he was going to find me. I truly thought that. You still think? I can't believe kids think that way. Amazing. I just need to back up for two seconds. Do you still sing? Nah. Are you good? I mean, oh, of course I sing, but not like I don't sing in a choir or anything like that. Did anybody say there could potentially be this scout who's driving by or that was just something that you totally came up with on your own? Yeah. Something you came up so on your who's own. Who's going to tell me? What? I mean, we, they I didn't bully me that much. I would. <laughs> that I would. would be horrible. I would. I'd be like, hey, you want to be You want to be uh, found? First of all, I love that you had an avocado farm. Do you like avocados still? Like, is avocado toast something you would order at a restaurant? No, no, absolutely not. No, I would never order avocados in a restaurant, but I didn't like them as a kid. I've, go, I've gotten to like them now because it's a healthy fat and because it's just been drilled into me that I have to have healthy fats. Does your family still own the avocado farm? Yeah. Are there avocados to be picked? Yeah, I actually, I go see my mom. My mom is 87 now. Uh, My father passed away 11 years ago. My mom lives on this farm by herself, off in the middle of nowhere. I go see her every week and I bring her Trader Joe's groceries. And because, you know, because of the pandemic. Although I think I would do that anyway. And uh, this week she gave me three avocados. So I have them. They're here in my kitchen. First of all, I'm a little disappointed that she only gave you three avocados if she has an avocado farm but you know three is better than nothing i'm coming over i love avocados okay i'll get more than three avocados next time i'll tell you what i'll bring the booze and uh, but not chardonnay okay so let's back up because i i am now now you're now your best friend tom broke i would be embarrassed for myself because for me because (laughs) i've cut you off in the middle of a really important story because i wanted to talk about avocados No, everybody wants to talk about avocados. It's fine. But so anyway, that's how I got into the arts. My family is, has nothing to do with the arts, right? Nothing, nothing. Everybody else, uh, of the five of us, three are involved in the avocado industry. It's a huge industry, you know, well, it's agribusiness, I guess. And one works for PG&E up North. Um, so I'm the artsy one. I was the weird one. And, um, I, I am so lucky that my parents actually support because I did not get student loans. I did not get a scholarship. My parents paid for me to go to Harvard. How they afforded it, I don't know. And they let me major in art history, which is shocking to me. I don't know that I would do that for my kid, um, but it, somehow it worked out okay. And here we are. I, I, I wanted to just one thing. You had said the four things. One of them was music musicals, right? Musicals. Mm-hmm. I hate musicals. I'm the worst gay there is. I hate musicals. There's like three I like, and I realize I'm a bad person. I saw Annie at the Hollywood Bowl. The girl who played Annie was really bad. And that was what ruined the show. So I realized she was probably nine, but she still was really bad. Had a bad, bad Annie. I mean, they should have used me. I agreed. Is that a bad thing for me to say a nine-year-old's a bad actress? Yes. No, why would that be bad for you to say, unless you're lying? All right. So, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to pass over a few things in your history and then we can go back to it. But what I found to also be really interesting is that you were at the Parks and Recs department in Ventura County, right? I did my, I did my research correctly, didn't I? Yeah, you sure did. Uh, City of Ventura, but yeah. City of Ventura. So I, I, I always, I think everybody wants to think Parks and Recs is like the TV show. I know it's not. 
I get that. But what was like, what was cool about that job? What was cool about running the parks, uh, the parks and recs? I know there's like four things, it's not just parks and recs. It's like parks, recs, community, arts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what happened is I started, I got, I became the head of the community services department, which is not parks, but it is rec. Right. And then the, remember the last big disaster? Well, like the 14th last disaster that we had, which was the great recession. You remember that whole thing that happened when we all thought the world was ending about, 13 years ago. So that happened. We lost a third of our funding and we collapsed two two big functions together. And we brought parks, recreation, and then I created this function called community partnerships, which was cultural affairs and social services and communications um, all together. So yeah, it was nothing like the TV show. Although when the TV show came out, the Parks and Rec industry has a you know service agency called um, California Parks and Recs Association or something like that and they sent off an email to all of their members saying you know we really do not condone the reflection of this show on the parks and recreation field we feel that it's very serious and we recommend that when you talk to people I mean it was a whole thing about how we were supposed to discuss Parks of Rec in light of that. I know you can't say it, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever... I mean, like that show was A, hilarious, and B, made, made everybody care about Parks and Rec. So, like, people just need to calm down a little bit. Like, people need to stop taking themselves so seriously, right? Like they well, just and that was 13 years ago. Don't you think it's just gotten worse since then? So, yeah. From Parks and Rec, which to me seems like a really cool job, you were in Ventura, and that's where you grew up. L.A. County and Ventura County are next to each other, but not the same. So what can you tell us about Ventura County? Why should people go visit? What's so great about Ventura County? It's a fantastic place to go visit. It, it really is. It's like you're, it's, there's such a huge difference. Ventura is really this, this image of what a, a sort of a funky beach town is. It's very funky. It is really down to earth. And, you know, Ventura County is the place where you can see a Tesla tootling along behind a tractor, just waiting for the tractor, which is just going along with its asparagus or its broccoli or its cauliflower or whatever. Those are probably three crops we don't grow in Ventura County, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but it is really a, a, a cool place. I want to go back to something you said, which is working in parks and recreation is cool. No, it, it, I mean, it is for some people. It wasn't for me, Matt. It really wasn't for me. It took me a long time to realize that I was sort of a square peg in a round hole. And it's just government is is different and it's necessary and of course i support it and all that all that stuff and i i I do but it really is a different way of thinking about service and your role so i feel very i mean i just happened to get out of it and get into the nonprofit sector i've been in all all three of the sectors and uh I, i mean i love what i am doing now i feel very lucky Uh Uh-oh, I think the music is playing, Ashley. I think it's that time for Matt's Plane Across America. It is, Matt. Our question today for you is from Josh. Josh asks, I'm new to my nonprofit, and I really want to get out there. Do you have any advice on how I can start to meet possible donors? It's a fantastic question, Josh. Thank you for asking it. So... uh, 
When you're new to a nonprofit, especially if you're in development or any kind of leadership, you really do want to get out there and find people who potentially could be donors or could connect you to donors or could connect you to sponsors or whatever it is. People can go to the Rotary Clubs, they can go to associations of businesses, they can go to business improvement districts. There's a lot of different places where, you know, there are groups of folks who get together. There's also in Los Angeles an organization called The Exchange. I think the website is theexchange.la. And that's also a really great place because it's monthly meetings with people who are looking to grow their business and nonprofit organizations. Really, really, really easy way to meet people. I think that's a great way to start if you're in Los Angeles. So things like that, you know, just getting out there, trying your best to just go meet people and be social. And once COVID, you know, goes away, meeting people at bars again and events and just starting to get to know people. So that's what I would say. It's all about just putting yourself out there and you never know who you're going to meet. Those of you out there who are single, you know that these networking sites are great for meeting people. So why not do the same for business interests? Great advice, Matt. Thanks for Matt explaining us. Now back to the interview with Elena Brokaw. So you moved to the museum world, you took over the museum. I know that you had, and and everybody should know, like you really are spectacular and wonderful what you do. I mean, it really is true because the, the museum was close to closing down and you turned it around. I think that's why you, I mean, it was not in a good place and you literally turned it around and also have kept it open through COVID and all of that. When you were at Harvard, you know, moving around in your career, all of that stuff. Did you ever think about the fact that you would be or would want to be an executive director of a museum? So as we said earlier, I don't have an M, I just have a BA, right? And so we got into the beginning of of my senior year, I realized that my career, there was no like art history factory that I was gonna go to. And what I was studying was setting me up for more education to either work in a museum or work in an, an academic institution. And I loved museums. I was a member of museums. I still am, obviously. But I was really, really aware that museums and academic institutions like Harvard um, were really only sort of even recognized by a very narrow swath of the population. And it was a population that didn't need museums or higher education. And so if you were going into a museum, if you knew enough to buy like admission into a museum, you had already learned what you needed to from a museum. You'd already had the exposure experience. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be like we already talked about, like, why are the arts important? And for me, the arts were a lifesaver, truly, when I was a kid. Um, They made me feel seen. They made me feel not alone. And um, so I wanted more people to be able to have that experience. So I very specifically decided not to have to go into any more education and to do something where I was not going to be just serving a whole bunch more people like me. So you're running a museum. It is a big deal. So we can talk about a few other things about it in a minute, but like, tell me what makes you the most excited to go to work tomorrow? I'm going to I'm going to answer that question in a roundabout way. So I'm going to go back a little bit to the beginning because you're right. The museum when I started as the interim director was in deep 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 trouble. And that I knew it was in deep financial trouble when I walked in the door, but I had no idea. I th- I thought it was like, you know, at the pool, I thought it was in the middle of the pool. I had no idea that we were almost at the bottom of the deep end of the pool. 
And frankly, it took me a couple of months to actually really be able to absorb that. Um, in turning it around, everybody thought it was about money. And of course, I don't need to tell you, it's usually, you know, money is a symptom, money's not the cause, and the, you know, there was a lot of other problems, and, um, and turning it around was so tremendously difficult, and I failed in so many different ways before we finally found a way out. So I started in July, and it was of 16, and it was in July of 17 that we actually figured out what needed to happen made it happen by the end of July was another year until we were like, okay, it's working was another year until we were like, okay, it's not only going to work, but it is working. Right. Um, is the best way to put it. What was that thing that you figured out that saved? And I want to be really clear, like what you did, I don't want to gloss over it because you saved and you kept in the museum open. It could have shut down. You, you kept it open. So what was that thing that you figured out in July of 17? that kept it open. It's not so much what happened in July of 17. It's what happened in April of 17, which was when I pulled together a group of people that I admired, not even necessarily involved in the museum. Some of them had been, some of them hadn't. And I, I called them together 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. And I said, okay, here's the situation. And I kind of synthesized it a little bit and, or a lot. And then I said, and I don't know what to do. Matt, it was incredibly difficult to do that. I just say it like it's no big deal. I don't know what to do. But we don't like to say that. I guarantee you, you don't like to say that. You definitely don't want to say that in front of people that you admire, who you think are so smart. Um, But it was the best thing I possibly could have done. And it was after I had tried this and I had tried that and this had seemed to work and then fizzled and this had just really not worked. At that time, I remember the the image that I had of going to work. There's so many details that I could tell you and so many people can relate to different parts of the story, but the organization was really um, in trouble in so many different ways. Everybody was burnt out. Morale was terrible. Every day I would go to work. Okay, so picture this. Work is a mountain Okay, very steep, conical mountain. Think like kind of like the uh, close encounters of the third kind, except with a pointy top. And I would go to work and my job would be, and there'd be a whole bunch of people milling around at the bottom of the mountain. And my job would be to get everybody at the top of the mountain. Fine. Okay, really hard job. So I'd grab a person and I would get them I would get them to the top of that mountain. And I did, Matt, I did. And sometimes I dragged them and sometimes they totally came along with me and sometimes they were running and sometimes they were just like that kid pulling at his mom's purse. Not that I can relate to that, but I would get them to the top of that mountain and then I'd go, okay, stay here, stay here, stay here. So I'm going to go down and get more. And I would come down and I would get another person and I looked up and there was that guy or girl or whatever, the one I just gotten to the top of the mountain and they were down at the bottom of the mountain again. And I said, what? I just got you up. We just went up there. We just agreed. We would go up there and they would say, eh, I don't like it. It's too, you know, it's weird up there. It's too much sun. And besides, it it, it didn't seem, it wasn't that hard for you. You can just do it again. That's what it was like every fucking day that I went to work. Now, tomorrow, when I go to work, um, I'm starting a local history 
authors series. So we're doing a tech run for that. We're redoing the museum's collections plan, which may sound super unsexy, but every museum is all about its collections and what it has. And um, we're totally breaking what we used to collect and how we used to collect it and creating a whole new priority. And, And then I'm talking to a bunch of people. One of my favorite things now about this job is that When I first started, the donors were really angry about the situation in the museum. And now we're just on such a run that they're they're happy. And so I get to call them and not ask for money. I mean, Matt, how great is that? Just to call people and talk to them. It's my job to call people and talk to them and not have to ask them for money. I mean, I'll ask them for money eventually. I'm totally going to ask. Of course, you have to ask for money. But not all the time. And and then I have to bake a four-layer cake for my step-grandchildren and my son, uh, because they're coming, the grandchildren are coming over for sleepover tomorrow night. And it's very specific. It has to be strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla. So that's not part of the job, but I also do get to do that. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I kind of want some of that cake and I want the avocados. So I'm gonna I'm I'm sleeping over tomorrow night. Just so you know. I, there are like three things that that come out of this, what you just said that I think are really important. And also I told you I'd go back to what we were talking about. The first is that you are like in love with your job. I know that there are days that we all hate our job. I get that. But you, I mean, just the way that you explained tomorrow going to work and and your excitement and and the things that you get to do, you're in love with your job. That's spectacular because there are very few people who are. I know. I said, I'm very lucky. And man, I'm not going to pretend like it's not hard. It's still really, really hard. And I think whenever you're working with even one other person, it's hard, right? Well, yeah, because people suck at the end of the day. <laughs> God, they're impossible. They're ridiculous. <laughs> so that to me is awesome. I love meeting people who love their jobs. So I, I, it gives me hope. So that makes me happy to hear. The second thing is that you said, I don't know what to do. And you're right. Nobody wants to admit that. What I think makes a really good, successful leader is somebody who can surround themselves by people who know more, right? who can make you look good. And then you can say that, I don't know what to do. Let's do that together. That's amazing that you did that. People don't do that. So in like a very clear and concise way, how did you save the museum? What did you as a group in April of 2017, what did you decide to do? You know, first what we did was we looked at all of the potential scenarios. So you have to be really, we were very, very, very clear about what was happening. And and we had to really, numbers tell a lot of stories. So people, I think in nonprofit world, we think of ourselves as passionate and energetic and everything. And we don't think of ourselves as good sort of number crunchers, but we can actually be both. We looked at the numbers and were very, very clear that it was there, there was no magic bullet that was going to come along. We developed six possible scenarios and we just took them away, right? And that was like this combination of sort of feasibility studies, which was me going out and saying, hey, what do you think about this? And people going, fuck no, that's a terrible idea. We were looking at uh, merging. We were looking at closing one of our branches. We were looking at closing for two years and then, and, you know, mothballing. Anyway, we looked at all these things. And then at the end of the day, we're an historic and art museum, right? And we had these historical documents and we went back and we, we found this paperwork when Prop 13 happened. 
in 78, before that, we were 100% funded by the county. And that was the key. We went, oh my God, we used to be a complete government funded institution. And we've been banging on the door of the city and the county going, you should give us money, which is not a good argument, by the way. <laughs> but we were able to go back and go, oh, hey, here is how this museum started. And here is the reality. We need five years of funding. We need over two and a half million dollars over those five years because we've done a really bad job of handling our finances. And if you don't give them to us, we will close. And if we close, it will be a big problem for you. And that was not exaggerating anything. And um, I got grilled publicly and I had to stand up and I was able to say, because I really meant it, look, we've made mistakes. We know what the mistakes were. And I promise you, we're going to change. And I want you to hold us accountable. And I gave them like 36 ways to measure our success. And I said, in six months, if we're not meeting these, then you don't have to keep on funding us. And one of them was like making a million dollars for the endowment in six months. It's more complicated than that. But that's what well, happened. Of course, it's more complicated. Did you really make a million dollars for your endowment in six months? Did you really do that? Mm hmm Okay, I just want everybody to know, I know, again, the land is sort of glossing over, but a million dollars in six months, first of all, is a huge deal. And saving an organization is ridiculous. You don't just get to do that. And I, I just want everybody to know what you did is absolutely amazing. It is really hard to be an executive director of a nonprofit, but I do hope that you are really proud of yourself for keeping it open. Like, like, I do hope that you just at some point sit down with not a glass of Chardonnay, but like maybe some, what's your favorite drink? What's your favorite, favorite, favorite drink if you were at a bar right now that you would order? Oh, a, a Sazerac. Fine. So I hope that you sit down on the couch with a Sazerac and you at some point just sigh and say, all right, I did good. Thank you. And um, I mean, I really do feel very lucky and I feel really lucky to have been able to keep going through the mistakes because I almost didn't, you know, I was interim and there was a point in time where I was like, Oh oh, shit, you know, this is not going good. I should probably just bail and nobody would blame, nobody would blame me. And I don't know what keeps you going in that. I think it was just sheer bullheadedness. Okay. So if you had left at that point and nobody would have blamed you and gone to do something else, not running a museum, what would it be? Oh God, there's so many things that I would be interested in doing. Before I went to the museum, you know, I left the city in order to become a consultant. So I was a consultant and I did that. And I had a bunch of clients. And by July 10th, I was depressed because I wasn't busy enough. So I am a person who really, really needs to stay busy. And this is not a good thing. I mean, I'm admitting something to you that because it's just the two of us. It That's is, why it, I feel like I can tell you this. By now. Um, by now, we've lost all our listeners by now. <laughs> Thanks, Elena. So for somebody who wants to get into the museum world, right? For somebody who's like, this is the world I want to be in. I want you to tell me one amazing thing that they should be looking forward to. And one just like, maybe don't go into the museum world. Oh, I wouldn't tell anybody not to get into the museum world. I think it's incredible. And I think now it's the perfect time to get into it because it's changing so quickly. There's a lot of tremors like there is everywhere, right? This is a very uh, tumultuous time. 
I think that it is an opportunity to change the way that we tell stories in the world. And right now, I would encourage anybody who is interested in reaching future generations to get involved in any way that they can. Everything is a new experience, I think, now and in museums and open for reinterpretation. That's really cool. So tell me why, two things, because I should at some point talk about fundraising in your organization and why somebody should support you, because that would make me a good host of a nonprofit show. <laughs> so aside from museums in general, and by the way, by the time this airs, I can share this. I don't do a very good job of selling myself, but we are a nonprofit search and strategy firm. And we are actually doing the search for the chief curator at the Grammy Museum, which oh, I think is a yeah. really cool gig. Yeah, right? So that's why I think this is so timely. But why should somebody come to your museum? Um, somebody should come to our museum to see what it is like to go to a museum that is trying to turn the idea of a traditional museum on its head. And by that, I mean, okay, so Matt, you've gone to museums, right? I mean, yes, I've certainly gone to museums. Okay, so you know, like in anywhere you go, anywhere, a library, a restaurant, whatever, there's sort of rules of engagement, right, when you walk in. So what are the rules of a museum? You know what they are. I mean, I feel like, I feel like, now I'm now I'm being tested. You should like be quiet. You shouldn't touch the art. You should read the stories. You should be a little serious. Okay. So those are the rules. Those you are don't the rules. touch anything. You don't run. You're quiet. You're serious. And you're there to learn because they know more. Everything we do, and we're not anywhere near succeeding at this yet. It's just our North Star where we're going. Everything we do is about turning that, those rules on their head. So you can touch things. You can run. You can laugh. You can be really loud. But for maybe most importantly, we want everybody who goes to the museum to be contributing to the museum because that's what we're about. We're about collecting stories so that later on we can share those stories. You don't have to be the important person. Everybody has a story to tell. So that's what we're trying to do. We don't always get it right. And sometimes we really, we don't get it. And sometimes we have to do shows that don't get to that level for whatever reasons, but that's where we are going. And I think that going to our museum is fun. It tells you stories that you, that are not what you would expect from a museum like ours. And it's friendly, it's accessible, and it's going to ideally just make you think about some new things. That's entirely our goal. It sounds little, right? But it's not. I don't think most kids like to go to museums. I don't think like most kids like to watch ballet or opera, but if you could make it fun, not just for kids, but for adults, that is spectacular. And that right there is the reason to go to, to your museum. So I, I think if anybody has kids and they are anywhere near Ventura County, they should go, or just adults. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult. I don't want to say that because that sounds like a fun museum. That's okay. So we talked about, I have a 10 year old kid. I'm 51. My mother's 87. Our goal is to have all three of us able to go in and have either the same or different experiences, but all of us to get something out of it. That's another of our North Stars. And if you are a parent and you want to get your kids interested in some kind of, in, in art, in music, whatever it is in museums, what's a cool museum that a parent should if they're in that city, take their kid to? Um, 
trying to think of what Charlie's favorite museums have been because I make him go to them all over the place. You know what? I don't, I actually don't think that there is any bad answer to that. Any kids museums are amazing nowadays, right? They're incredible. And you can actually create a great, fantastic kids museum on very little money because they're pretty satisfied with like, you know, crumpled paper and some cardboard. I mean, they like it better if it's there's some magnets. Who doesn't like magnets? Kids love magnets, right? That kind of stuff. So I think, I mean, taking them to a, a, an art museum like the Broad, I wouldn't do that. But um, but any kids museum that has a hands-on stuff is going to be fantastic. Okay. And one of my one of my favorite questions that I think is a really cool question that I stole from another another podcast, the one podcast I listened to before starting this one. What any artifact of any museum in the world, if you could steal it and it is yours and you wouldn't go to jail and you could actually like put it in your house, what would you take? I think I would take the Ark of the Covenant. I it's it's not in a museum, but it's definitely an artifact, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would 100% take the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant. Wouldn't you love to have that? Like, I have the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, that's a really cool thing. I love that. I love that. I I could have it in the bath. You could keep it in the bathroom. It could go anywhere. I love that. My favorite museum is the Musée, the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. And honestly, it's just because I want to go to Paris. I think the museums that we really like are places where we don't feel stupid. I mean... I don't know about you, but I've gone to museums where I feel unwelcome and stupid. It, it can be it can be nothing. It can be the coat check person who is a little bit short. And I don't like that museum, right? Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. I think a lot of people don't like museums because they feel stupid. And so that's what's so cool about your museum is that that's not what you're not. You're completely against the opposite of that. I want to make sure that I have done you justice because, again, if Tom we're on a first name basis now, is listening. And he's like, yes, you did a good job. I just want to make sure Lana, that I that I did you justice. So just so I know, we can rewind everything. We talked about why you like the arts, how it meant, what it meant to you as a child. We talked about being in the Parks and Rec's world. We talked about the museum, how you saved it. We talked about, you know, why people should come visit and why people should care about the museum world. And also we talked about why people should get into museum leadership and work at museums. Is there anything that I am missing in terms of something that you want to share with with our listeners about museums or about how you got to where you are or anything that I am I have done a bad job and didn't ask you that question. No, no, no. You I, I'm not I'm not just saying this. You've done a fantastic job. You have put me this is my first time being interviewed for a podcast and I just feel like I've been doing it for years. So I want to thank you so much for being part of this, for teaching us about the museum world. And I want one last thing because this really is nonprofit. If somebody right now can go out and give a donation to your museum, A, what's your website? Uh, VenturaMuseum.org. VenturaMuseum.org. And why should I write you a check right now for your museum? Because we right now are collecting the history today um, in order to be able to share the stories of tomorrow. So right now, for example, when this pandemic first hit, we were able to go back and talk about the flu of 1918 and 1919 in Ventura with photos, put them on the website so that everybody could see. And it was comforting, right, to go back and know this had happened before and tell the through line and make the connections. 
And I, I think without that, we as a society would be a lot more adrift. You should give us a donation to keep us moored and keep cool. us progressing and evolving. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I really do hope that that Tom is listening somewhere out there. And I hope that everybody comes to see your museum, touches everything and screams and yells and runs around because you can't do that anywhere else. And I thank you so much for being so amazing, saving your organization and just humoring me on this show. So thank you. Oh, Matt, thank you for asking all the questions. It's been delightful. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what do you think of this episode with Elena? I loved this episode. I think you two were hilarious and insightful. And I can't wait to go visit that museum. I've got a seven-year-old. We're totally going as soon as it's, you know, safe to do so. So here was my one thing that I couldn't believe. At the end of the episode, when you two talked about um, what kind of art piece she would steal. And she said the Ark of the Covenant. And I just kept waiting for one of you to reference Indiana Jones. I I just could not believe that you were sitting there like seriously talking about the Ark of the Covenant without a single Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. Here's the thing. Nothing about people's faces melting if you open that thing. Nothing about how you would, how would you even find it in all those boxes? That they stored in at the end of the film. Like, so many missed opportunities. I know, and I failed miserably. Thank you for pointing that out at the end of that interview. And that could actually be, Ashley, why people aren't listening. It could be. Honestly, it says more about me and the fact that, like, my only reference to the Ark of the Covenant is a pop culture one. Whereas the two of you were sitting there talking about it as a relic, an art piece. It is something to do with religion, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. I was reading about it. It's definitely a, re- a real, not just invented for the movie, which quite honestly, I thought it was. Did not know it was a real thing, but it is in fact real. <laughs> and it is a religious relic. I'm going to tell you something again between me and you and me and you only. Hmm. There are times when our guests use these very big SAT words that I don't know what they mean. And so I just move <laughs> on, right? and just pretend I know exactly what they're talking about. So are you admitting now that you actually did not know what the Ark of the Covenant was? So you were just kind of playing along? I'm not admitting anything. Okay. I'm not saying anything. I'm not, not saying anything. And then sometimes, not in this particular case per se, you will hear your guest reference something, either a word or a um, historical reference that you do not have a clue what it is and you just kind of smile and nod and go along and everybody thinks you're totally in the know. Well, you tell me, Ashley. I mean, we're at episode nine of season two. It's very exciting because now we're going to go into into season three, which I never saw coming. I'll tell you that much. And that's what she said. But my question for you is, now that we're almost done with season two, are there notes that you have on the air that uh, I could do better? First of all, there's really not enough time to go into all the things. And second of all, like, I feel like that's more of a private conversation. So while I appreciate you inquiring after my opinion, I don't think I I should give it here. And I do like my job. I have an appeal for our audience out there. If you are so inclined to follow us on any of our socials, maybe um, go into 
one of Ashley's favorite, which is nonprofit underscore on underscore the underscore rocks on Instagram. And maybe just, you know, send us a little something that tells everybody what you think I could do better. I'd love to know. I think that is bold, Matt, but I love it. I would love for our listeners to give us suggestions, to give us feedback. Mm. So let's see what happens. All right. It's happening. So we have episode 20 officially. I also want everybody to know to be excited because Ashley and I are going to get together and do the best of of the last two seasons, one of these days. I don't know when. I don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that I'm very excited about. Is there any last piece of wisdom, word of advice, you know, any goodness that you would like to leave with our listener at this point? Yeah, Matt, I'm, I'm glad that you asked me that question because I'm going to quote Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not the age, it's the mileage. Okay, Ashley, well... If that's honestly, really, truly how you want to end this show, then I will leave it at that. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you.